Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is the place to connect to who you truly are. We're bringing PhDs, experts, and leaders to help you elevate your mindset in your work life and in your love life so that you can see things differently and truly love your world. I'm Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, author, and TEDx speechwriter and booker, and I'm excited to bring you in to this week's episode. U-Turn friends, today I'm bringing somebody very special onto the show, and it's Ludovica Colella. I call her Ludo. She's a therapist focused on CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, based in Europe, and she's also a life coach, helping so many people with people-pleasing, boundaries, and so much more. And today, we're going to go through all the different ways that you can work in therapy, because I feel like a lot of people out there don't really know what modalities are available, what pathways they can take to experience and benefit from therapy. And I feel like Ludo's so educated on this. Um, she has her practice, you know, although she's in Europe with clients all over the world. And I think it would just be so cool to help you really get the awareness on all the different ways you can get support. So without further ado, thanks, Ludo, for coming on. Hi, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Okay. So I know that, you know, being a therapist is a very particular path. Um, what is it about your life that brought you to this work? Well, I want to be a psychologist, a therapist since as long as I can remember. I think I was 11 years old and I was reading The Interpretation of Dreams by Freud. And not that I was understanding much. I mean, the concepts are really difficult to grasp, even for an adult, if you don't have some background. But um, I guess I was really deeply fascinated by the concept. And also my father, he was a psychology student when he had me. So he had to kind of abandon his studies and then go straight into work, you know, to provide for the family and stuff. So he had this huge passion for psychology and he transferred me a lot of that. So he was certainly a big influence in my life to kind of choose this path. Um, and together with some other life experiences, like um, I have experienced, unfortunately, really early in life, in life, the impact that mental health can have on families and relationships, because my mother was severely mentally ill and she's been suffering with depression and anxiety all her life, really. Um, so, well, as a child, when you are on the receiving end of that, it doesn't really, um, it's quite challenging. It's quite difficult to just create a connection with someone who is not emotionally connected themselves. So you kind of end up thinking a lot about your moods, your behaviors, your words, your everything you do and say, really, because you don't know when it's going to trigger the next outburst next, you know. So um, that can make someone walk on eggshells really mm -hmm. easily around the parents. And as an adult, that can impact severely on your behavior because then you grow up believing that relationships can work as long as you put other people first all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So that's what happened to me in a way. So I realized at some point that I kind of developed these people pleasing tendencies myself. And obviously I had to work on myself, not only by reading books, I went to psychotherapy myself. So I'm also a patient. And I had to work on every behavior, every thought pattern that led me to develop these people pleasing tendencies. And today is what basically I want to give back is um, the idea that you can recover from being a people pleaser so you can 
quote unquote, um, uh, become the person that you were supposed to be before being a people pleaser. So that's what I'm trying to do with my coaching practice. Mm, I love this. And I think it's so interesting to talk about having a parent that's unpredictable and it probably looks like many different things, right? Like, um, you can have a dysregulated parent who kind of like has emotional blowups or someone whose mental health isn't well, and you just don't know what kind of day you're going to have or an alcoholic parent. I feel like kids who learn how to be chameleons, it's like we underestimate as adults how much that can carry on with us, like this ability to be a chameleon, this ability to be accommodating. Um, okay. So as I think about, you know, how that influenced you, I imagine, you know, you develop those people pleasing tendencies. Um, and I know now you're coaching a lot of people on how to release those, how to set the boundaries. So, um, anyone listening right now, there's so many different therapy, psychotherapy frameworks out there. Um, can we start to introduce people listening to all the different ways that they can consider, um, choosing a therapist, a psychotherapist, whether they work with you or they choose someone in their local area, um, just any insight on the different modalities? Yes. So the modality I am trained in is cognitive behavioral therapy. So as the name suggests, cognitive behavioral therapy deals with cognitions, so thoughts and behaviors. And it's a very practical type of therapy. So if you're more of a um, like a hands-on type of person that you want to learn strategies and coping skills, CBT will be the perfect therapy for you. And it's, um, it's a CBT is very similar to coaching in a way because they share both the idea of the core idea that is transformation. So while CBT will help you if you're having poor mental health to kind of become more stable within yourself, Coaching can help you if you feel already more stable to develop further your potential. So kind of develop your strengths and uncover your values. And so they both are focused on um, transformation, but in slightly different ways. Cognitive behavioral therapy is great if you're looking for a short-term type of treatment. If you're looking to learn about psychology, to learn about how the brain works, you know, most CBT protocols are between 12 sessions and 20 sessions. So really short term compared to the other uh, therapy frameworks that are out out there. And also if you're looking to to have some sort of collaborative relationship with your therapist, so you're ready to learn, you're ready to practice these coping skills that you learn, and you want to have more of a structured approach, then CBT will be for you. Um, CBT, because as I said, it deals with thoughts and behaviors. It doesn't deal so much with emotions. So if you are going through like some emotional difficulties, or if you lost a job, if you lost a relationship, if you lost someone like you're going through bereavement, for example, um, or if you're adjusting to new life circumstances, obviously there will be all sorts of emotions coming up for you. And you need to process those in order to be ready to adjust to this new life that you're creating for yourself. And so in this case, a therapy is like person-centered therapy or gestalt psychotherapy that helps you to process your emotions more, are, might be more indicated for, for these sort of challenges and problems. Mm. And, you know, these therapies all work with the idea that, I mean, emotions, thoughts, behaviors, they're all parts of your, what forms your personality. Mm-hmm. But there is another type of therapy that actually is one of the first therapies out there that was created, which is psychoanalytic treatment, which, which was founded by Freud in, originally. 
And he doesn't deal that much with thoughts, emotions, and behaviors, but he deals, I mean, his theories is about the unconscious mind. So whatever is under the surface. And so in a psychoanalytic treatment um, journey, you might expect to use strategies like the interpretation of dreams, for example, just because, you know, the unconscious is not available to us all the time. Actually, it's almost never available to us. What they say is that it's, you can uncover your unconscious mind if you go to psychoanalytic treatment, but you can't just talk to someone and pretend that you're going to be accessing this, uh, you know, all your unconscious content. It will come to the surface with particular strategies. The interpretation of dreams is one of these strategies. Because oh, when interesting. You're, when your awareness is dormant, then the unconscious mind kind of comes to the surface. Wow. Uh, Do you want to get your daily dose of greens, but you feel like you're kind of eating dirt? This episode is sponsored in part by our dear friends over at AG1. And what I love about their greens is that they're not only carbon neutral, but they taste really good. I started taking AG1 because I really wanted to get all the nutrients and vitamins that I could possible, but I just couldn't bring myself to drink those celery, vegetable, juice, smoothie situations. I wanted something that actually tasted good and was also really good for me. So their greens taste very tropical, tasty, and yes, they have travel packs that are perfect for road trips and getaways because if you're anything like me, you don't want to bring a big old box of powder. So you never have to miss out. I've been on Athletic Greens for the past year and I cannot seem to live without it. I actually look forward to drinking my greens with them every morning. So with one tasty little scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This very special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus even anti-aging. It's really all the things. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and just give your immune system this gift of convenient, daily, easy nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, AG1 is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit drinkag1.com slash U-Term. That's D-R-I-N-K-A-G-1.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N, drinkag, and the number one, ag1.com slash U-Term, to take ownership over your health and pick up the daily nutritional insurance that your body needs. Okay, wait, for people listening, (laughs) I want to break this down because you just gave some good gems. So- One type of therapy that you focus on is cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. I find that in the States, that's also quite available. Um, It's all about like practical skills, coping strategies, looking at your thoughts and your behaviors versus your emotions. And then you talked about um, what was the – before you got into psychoanalytic, you talked about one other type of therapy, correct? Yeah, person-centered therapy or also gestalt. Okay. So, okay, what would be the difference in the approach if someone was dealing with heartbreak and they mm-hmm. went to a CBT therapist versus a person-centered? And was that, is that what it would be called? Would the therapist um, advertise as like, I'm a person-centered therapist? Yes. yes. They, they can call themselves person-centered. The, you could find on their bio that they studied gestalt psychotherapy. You could okay. find dynamic approaches as well. They are all part of, the, of, of a similar thing. Well, for um, people who are listening, Gestalt is a, um, we call him a philosopher. Um, yeah. He has a whole body of work. So Gestalt is a buzzword for human-centered therapy. Okay. So 
Let's say yeah. that, you know, Sally's going through heartbreak. She sees a CBT therapist. What's the CBT therapist going to do? And then she's going to go to a, you know, a human person-centered gestalt therapist. What are they going to do just to start to kind of make sense of this? So let's pretend Sally comes to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm a CBT therapist. So I would proceed uh, exploring Sally's thoughts about the breakup. So what does the breakup mean to her? What does it mean to um, for her, for her story, for her persona, for her journey as a as a as a woman, and how is she kind of um, constructing the idea of breakup in her mind? So what actually happened there? Because you know people have people construct meaning around their own experiences, and this is what CBT is all about. You don't just have thoughts; you have interpretations of reality. So a breakup is a breakup. But then if you come to me and say, my life sucks, then we have a, an interpretation of what, you know, what, what's going on. And so we look at deconstructing very extreme, negative or rigid interpretations that people come up with to kind of create more alternative and balanced views of what's actually going on. So when you actually create a more um, a more balanced view of what's happening, then the person can more easily emotionally process the breakup in this case. But we don't act directly on emotions. We act on the interpretation of what's going on as a CBT therapist. Mm, okay. A person-centered therapy would come from another angle. She would ask questions like, okay, how are you feeling? What emotions are coming up for you? Um, how are you dealing with these emotions? How are you supporting yourself through this journey? So it would be much more emotion-based. Okay, that's a big difference. So CBT is more about how do we work with your thoughts how do we reframe the story you're telling yourself about your life? And okay. I'm, I'm guessing the belief is that that influences their emotions and how they're going to emotionally feel based on their thoughts versus the gestalt human-centered therapist is more starting with the emotions. How are you feeling? And what are they going to do with the feelings? Like I know in gestalt therapy, I learned in my psychology program, um, gestalt had a whole body of work around having two you know, different aspects of yourself. So there was the exercise of putting two chairs in the center of the room and sitting in one chair from one aspect of yourself and then moving into the other chair, speaking from the other aspect of yourself. So it's essentially like the part of you that wants to do something and the part of you that doesn't want to do something can keep taking different chairs and having a conversation with each other to kind of hash things out. So I know that a lot of Gestalt is that. Um, What else can we share about Gestalt therapy. Um, before we move into, I, I want to also go into psychoanalytic because I think what you said about dreams is so interesting and the, the unconscious. Um, mm-hmm. I've had some experiences with my unconscious, and it was, it was, it was pretty uh, jarring to have things that I didn't know present themselves all of a sudden into my awareness. Um, yeah. So as far as like psychoanalytic, what would um, what would Sally do if she saw a psychoanalytic therapist? And they wanted to help her, you know, process her breakup. Well, psychoanalytic treatment, the thing is, is that it has to do, it places a lot of emphasis on childhood. So if you are now experiencing certain things, um, we would be understanding these things that you're now experiencing from a framework that is the psychoanalytic framework, which is a really complex one that calls into question the unconscious motives fears, impulses, and desires that you have. So, for example, let's say, um, so I have actually an example for, for, for this one to, to kind of explain a bit better what and how an unconscious 
conflict can show up. Okay. So let's say you break, Sally broke up with her boyfriend and she will have a bunch of emotions. Okay. She will have, um, she will hate her boyfriend. She will love her boyfriend. She will hate herself. She would uh, feel compassion for herself. So, so she would have all these sorts of emotions, which are, are the sort of things that, like we said a minute ago, a guest thought psychotherapist just would jump on and yeah. kind of unpack. A psychoanalytic, uh, a psychoanalysis, a, psych- a psychoanalyst actually will look at this and say, okay, but what are you also actually feeling? What are the unconscious motives that are that led you to feel the way you feel today and that led you to have this relationship the way you had it? And so the unconscious, the unconscious, um, the unconscious conflicts, according to Freud, were really complex one. One example is the Oedipus, Oedipus complex. I don't know if you ever heard of it. The Oedipus complex was saying basically that the, the baby boy wants to kill the mother, uh, kill the father, and love the mother. Okay, this is an example of unconscious conflict. So we are not just talking about emotions and thoughts. We are diving really deep into. What, what what our beliefs, fears, and impulses tell us to do. And this is not something that we can just talk about. This is something that needs to be discovered analytically in a process that is a really long one, actually. I wouldn't suggest psychoanalytic treatment to anyone as a first type of treatment because it can be really intense. You go and talk about this really deep desires, actually also difficult to face. Mm. So it wouldn't be, oh, let's talk about your breakup. It would be much deeper than that. Mm. Okay. So I met a woman, um, and even for me, so I was molested by a cousin. I wrote about this in my, or not a cousin, like a distant, distant relative. It it was interesting because I wrote about this in my book Mm. and, you know, I didn't remember that it happened for years. Like Mm. it happened when I was like seven or eight. And I find that this is very common for people. I had no recollection, but my body felt really weird around him because at family reunions or I would see him and I specifically remember having like really bad feelings and discomforts around him, but I do not recall whatsoever realizing what he did. Um, And it wasn't until I was in high school around 16 that I remembered it and it came to me in a dream. And I felt really guilty because I remember feeling like, okay, maybe I'm having, maybe it was just a dream. And now I'm like judging this person as this like pedophilic whatever. And it wasn't until later that I had a conversation with my mom and she said, hey, you know, on the rare occasions that we see this person, you're always so rude. Why are you so rude? And I was like, you know, mom, I think something might have happened when I was a kid. And she goes, you know, it's interesting. You did mention something when you were a kid and I talked to his parents. And that was the first time that I got validation that it was real. And so something that happened to me when I was seven wasn't released into my memory until I was 18. And it wasn't solidified until I was 21, like that conversation with my mom. And I had these tears coming down. Um, And it's interesting because I just met someone the other day who she was telling me that she had a really bad, like this dream of her coming out of a shower, feeling really bad. And then she realized when she did plant medicine, so psychedelics, that what happened in the shower that she kept seeing in her dream was her best friend's dad 
raped her when she was a kid. So all she could remember was the shower Mm. and repeat, repeat, repeat. So I I don't know if you would consider this unconscious. Um, I'm guessing you would because it wasn't accessible. And so sometimes I've come to think like the unconscious almost feels like it's dangerous to know if your psyche is not ready to handle it. Yeah, 100%. And that's why I said I wouldn't suggest this treatment to someone who is just starting because you need a certain degree of awareness, but also a certain degree of willingness to look at this material that may come up. Like in your case, what you described is exactly what unconscious material is unconscious material coming to the surface via your dreams. Mm-hmm. You repressed your ego when your personality was formed to repress that because it was it was it was it, it wasn't something you wanted to look at, but then it found its way when you were readier to kind of process it and mm-hmm. came to the surface. That's a classical example of how unconscious material can come to the surface via our dreams. And this is just a, a simple example, right? So it's quite straightforward. But sometimes it's very difficult to analyze and decode. So you need a professional to actually tell you, you know, this dream might mean this. What do you think about this? Mm. Or the association that you just made, what we were talking, it makes me think about X, Y, and Z. What do you think? So you collaboratively start creating some uh, meaning around the current experience. Mm. I find that so interesting because I imagine a lot of people who have like sexual trauma or violence or abuse, they probably need that. But here's what kind of scares me about the psychoanalytic modality for therapy is sometimes it feels like, and I'm sure someone who's done a lot of work maybe can relate to this. It feels like maybe we're making things up, right? Like it's so, our dreams are so foggy and hazy that Mm. when we're doing that work, it's almost like, are we going to are we going to hurt ourselves by making something up that didn't even exist? Um, Mm. Do you have any thoughts about that? Because I feel like in the exploration process, it could be traumatic for people to almost like feel even more foggy when they leave therapy from that. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And that's why it's a long collaborative process and it's not, not just few sessions, but also in CBT, you know, I've had this issue coming up with clients many times when they say, you know, I don't want to blame my parents. Maybe I don't remember well <laughs> or something that they just disclosed. But uh, the thing is that what we care is the meaning that whatever experience has for you. The mm-hmm. meaning that it has to you, the meaning that you create about that. Psychology, psychology is very phenomenological as a as a as a science. It, it cares about what you think, what mm-hmm. was your story, what was your perception of what happened. We don't care that much about how it happened because, first of all, there is no way to. Sometimes there is no way to find out. Mm-hmm. How do we know? Um, and your perception, another person person perception, your parents' perception might be all different. So where is the truth? Where is the reality, right? The reality is what you think the reality is for you. So that's what we work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like healing from your own reality because your own reality, it's it's almost like sometimes when you, like I remember, so random, but I remember I used to drive by this uh, preschool or like elementary school and I used to always see this kid like sitting on a swing set by himself outside and I always used to think, oh, my gosh, his mom is always late to pick him up. All the kids are gone because I live by the school. And I almost felt like this, like tears in my eyes, you know, because it was like I put myself through this whole story mm-hmm. that felt so real. And so I guess when you're talking about this, it's like people put themselves through stories and whether they're actually in reality or not, they're real in your body. You feel them and there's like a healing there. OK, so 
I know you lead with cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. A lot of people listening, whether they hire a therapist in person or they go virtual and have somebody like you help them, um, there's a difference between CBT and coaching. So um, what would be your take on how the nuances that exist between those two things? I'm I'm just really happy as a professional, I can do both because sometimes I see people, I've seen people until, I mean, a few years ago who were coming to therapy, but actually they needed more of a coach. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people approaching me for coaching who actually needed a bit more of a therapist to help them. So it's good to be able to do both because essentially when you are helping someone developing their potential, what you often meet is resistance. So the brain is always resisting change, whether you are helping someone to heal from deep trauma and to kind of uh, feel better from from, uh, someone who's coming from a place of poor mental health and you want to help them feel better. There still be the same kind of resistance that you meet when you see someone who is just mentally very stable, but wants to further develop their potential because the brain is just used to always do the same thing. It wants to maintain the status quo. It doesn't want to move from that. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes if you meet a strong resistance, you know, a coach might struggle with that because at some point there is you're hitting a wall. If you're not trained in psychology, if you don't know how to dive deep into that block, you might have some really good techniques, but sometimes blocks might be really deep to the point that we're talking about fears. So we're talking about anxiety. So we're talking about negative self-view. We're talking about self-esteem. These are psychology concepts. Mm-hmm. You need a psychologist for that. I think it's really difficult for, for a coach to just stay on the surface. At some point, they will have to dive deeper into these concepts. And I know very good coaches out there who actually know a lot about psychology as well, and they have to, mm-hmm. but they maybe are not like trained in psychology, but they still find themselves uh, dealing with this, with these deeper issues that people have when they uh, they are trying to create a transformation in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whenever I think of coaching versus therapy, I think about like coaching is all about moving forward versus therapy sometimes about looking backwards, but a coach will look at, at the past if it's blocking moving forward. Um, okay. So I know that you, you have created, you know, a lot of your own modality, um, which is what I think is so cool about your work is like, you have like this quilt where you've brought some CBT and some other things in. Um, can you talk a little bit about like what made you do this? Like what is included in this modality? Um, and why, like, how, how does it really work? So as I said, my first point of contact is with CBT. I start with it because I think that the idea that our reality is actually an interpretation, we are living our interpretation. So we are uh, having thoughts and behaviors that are actually influenced by our beliefs is really important to know. You should know that you are a product of your beliefs, which doesn't mean that you're a product of your past. Those are quite different things. And we go back to the concept that you always interpret and construct in your mind what you think is your reality. Mm-hmm. So CBTs, um, um, I mean, I find CBT really great because it will help you detect unhelpful thinking styles and negative thoughts that are really extremes, extreme negative beliefs that are really limiting and it helps you kind of reconstruct your belief system in favor of a more uh, flexible, softer belief system that can be also more empowering. Mm. So you you do that with CBD, but sometimes the truth is that you hit two walls. The first wall you hit is that you're not giving space to emotions. 
you're not processing emotions. Emotions are getting processed as a result of cognitive work, but sometimes people also need the tools to deal with, to learn to self-regulate, essentially, especially people who haven't learned to self-regulate in their childhood, which are many. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I also insert some elements of mindfulness because mindfulness helps us to kind of um, be aware of the present moment and detaching from our thoughts and our emotions and just be present in the here and now and more aware of how what we experience with our bodies. Mm-hmm. And so this method, you basically become more open about your current experience, more curious about what you're experiencing, but also less judgmental about your own experience. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have a negative thought. For example, a negative thought might be, uh oh i'm not good enough okay and that follows a negative emotion like let's say anxiety or sadness and then on top of that we have other negative thoughts about the fact that we feel anxious and sad and we feel like oh why do i feel like that i should be grateful for everything i have this is so common right Mm -hmm. and then as a result you get another emotion which is shame so see how thoughts can cause emotions and then emotions themselves can cause thoughts it kind of reminds me of like when you have an early morning meeting and you go to bed early because you tell yourself you need to like get sleep and then you can't sleep because you're like so stressed about making sure you get sleep it's almost like these thoughts like you have an intention and the intensity that you put on the intention just adds more emotional layers to it like anxiety um stuff like that um, okay, so you're doing the CBT. You're also really rooted in a lot of mindfulness with your modality. So um, I feel like that's such a trending term. People hear mindfulness. Like, what does it mean for you? What does it look like for you in your practice? So mindfulness means that. So consider the fact that you are experiencing the world via two things, your mind and your body. Your mind thinks, because that's just what the mind does. Mm-hmm. Your body feels via the five senses. So when you are absorbed by your mind and your thoughts, you are not into your body that much. That's why we hear people saying, oh, I'm worrying so much. I feel like I'm not living my present life. I'm not in the here and now. I'm always in my head. So when you get that, that's when suffering happens because the mind creates meaning. But when you are in the present moment in contact with your body, you are moving away from the abstract world of thoughts. You are more in contact with the concrete world of your five senses, we'd say with a sensual experience. So everything you can get to know by your five senses. And so in doing this kind of exercise of bringing your attention back, so away from your thoughts, but back into your body, you are telling yourself that you have control over your thoughts. You have control over your emotions. And that control is, it doesn't just mean that you're able to challenge your thoughts because that sometimes can also trigger overthinking. Sometimes you have thoughts that cannot be challenged. Yeah, like you might have a thought, for example, oh, I feel so sick, I cannot do anything today. And that causes you a big emotional reaction. That thought cannot be challenged. It's maybe the truth. Mm. So right now you need to focus on your emotional reaction. So how do you feel? So go back into your body, away from your mind and try to self-regulate based on how you feel in that particular moment, which obviously are all mindfulness strategies that I teach. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, and I know that you talk about ACT therapy, which is acceptance yes. and commitment therapy, um, yes. which is, is that its own complete modality? Like, and if it is, can you explain a little bit about how it would look for Sally or else just tell us how it kind of weaves into your, your work? Yes, uh, that's a good question. So basically, ACT and mindfulness are both third wave therapies 
third wave therapies of CBT. So CBT is the big umbrella term, and then you have CBT, mindfulness, and ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy. That's the acronym for. And acceptance and commitment therapy basically is based on the idea that you have negative thoughts, you have anxiety, depression, anger, shame, and all these negative emotions. But the more you resist them, the more you're going to be compelled to act on these emotions in maladaptive ways. So you need to accept these emotions. You need to accept these thoughts in your space and just let them be. Mm. When you let them be and you put them in the back of your mind, then you can focus on whatever you want to focus on in that moment. That's the commitment. You choose what you commit to. In the case of Sally, it would be, okay, you're having all these negative emotions about your breakup. That's that's bad. That's sad. That's what a life, full, a full, rich life is created with, negative emotions also. Mm-hmm. So you kind of teach her to accept that this is what this is what life looks like. Um, and then you teach her to kind of look at herself, not just like a person who's going through a breakup, but a new identity. Who do you want to be through this breakup? Mm. What kind of person do you want to be? How do you want people to remember you? Mm. What do you want people to say about you? So you help her identify her values, her goals, and then kind of align her behavior with us, with this new identity. So it's not just moving away from the bad maladaptive quote unquote strategies, but it's also building a new identity that makes Sally feel more fulfilled and happy with her life. Mm, okay. And I, um, I know that I saw in your materials, you talk about mind flow coaching. Is that the title <laughs> of the modality? I love that title. <laughs> yes. I gave that title because the idea is to strike the perfect balance between acceptance and attachment. Mm. So with mindfulness, we want to detach right? Because we want to assume that kind of the stance of non-judgmental stance, that non-action, we want to practice non-action, we want to be the observer of our experience. But with the acceptance and commitment therapy, we want to learn that, yes, we are the observer, but this is still a human experience. So we need to allow the negative thoughts and the negative emotion to be part of our space because that's what life is like. So between acceptance and detachment, we learn what what skill to use when, and that's why I called my coaching mind flow coaching because I feel like there is a there needs to be a perfect flow between the two. I think the best coaches have psychology backgrounds. So it's pretty cool that you have that. And um my final question is just like, you know, we talk a lot about beliefs with cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, what happens in the brain? Like when people talk about beliefs, it feels like it's like this jargon that we hear of like changing your beliefs. Like, can you explain on a scientific level how this is actually moving along? Yes. So in CBT, what you basically do is try to engage a part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. So you have the cortex of your brain, the prefrontal cortex is somewhere around here at the the front of of um, of your brain. And so that deals with rational thinking and analyzing and chronological um, and and time and the idea of um, constructing uh, constructive constructing events based on a, a chronological order. So when you are challenging someone's beliefs or someone's thoughts, you're teaching them to be more rational. So to abandon the negative view, because if you think about it, a negative thought is very extreme. So it's rarely true mm-hmm. because extremes are rarely true. So you're teaching the person to rebalance their thinking. And so you are activating this part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, because it deals with rational thinking. Mm. But when you're too emotional about something, essentially what's actually getting activated is your amygdala. So the part that is next to the limbic system 
it's basically at, at the at the at the back of the brain. So you, when the amygdala is too overactive, the prefrontal cortex is dormant. Mm. When the prefrontal, and that's why when you are anxious, you cannot think clearly. Mm. Your prefrontal cortex like goes out the window. Yes, exactly. Okay. So you, okay. We don't like it anymore. Yeah. Um, but then the same thing happens also in the, in the other way around. When you're very focused on something, sometimes you focus, you forgot to eat, you forgot to go to the toilet, you know, you forgot your basic needs because you are not in touch anymore with your emotions. You are very focused on completing that project or on doing that task, you know. So they kind of um, need to balance each other out. So you can't have the cortex that is too hyperactive. In the same way, you cannot have the amygdala that is too hyperactive. They need to be balanced out. So that's what we do with CBT. We engage the prefrontal cortex to make some, uh, to help the person think more rationally about their thoughts, but also reconstruct their belief system. But the thing is that at some point, the brain will, like, for example, if you come to treatment, if you have a belief that is, like, let's say I'm a lovable, okay? So that's your belief. And you want me to help you challenge that belief. At some point, we will be challenging that belief with an opposite one. Let's say I am enough, okay? So at some point, your brain will have two beliefs that are really contra- contrasting. I'm a lovable and I'm, I'm, I'm enough. So this is a cognitive dissonance. That's how it's called. The brain is going to struggle to make sense of your reality in that moment because you're working on making the negative beliefs weaker while making the positive beliefs stronger. So you both have you have them both at that moment in your mind, both very active. And so that will trigger the amygdala. That will make you feel a bit of uneasy or a bit anxious, sometimes also during treatment or during coaching because you're seeing like you're becoming this new person but you still haven't let go of the old one and so you are creating basically a new neural pathway for yourself and the brain can do that because the brain is plastic so we can teach the brain new things and we can um let's say restructure the old ways the brain has to do to respond to the external environment by uh, teaching the person new coping strategies or new beliefs so that the all the neural uh, pathway gets cancelled or gets weaker so and you can create a new one that become that is stronger there's so uh, much here and like it's been really cool to hear all these modalities in this way because I feel like there's not enough therapists that are showing how much variety there is and I imagine people who are listening are probably thinking well, you know, I've done a lot of work. Maybe I do want to do more of a psychoanalytical approach and go into my dreams and go into my unconscious material. Maybe I'm feeling brave about that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then other people might feel like I'm new to this game and I'm so in my feelings. I probably need to get out of my feelings and gestalt therapy is probably bad for me because all I do is feel my feelings. I need to get into my beliefs. So I think it's really cool to help people with this. Where can people get started with you, find you? I know you have like um, some free resources, like where do you recommend everybody go? Well, so I have my uh, website, which is lucole.com. And there you can find all information for my services. You can find uh, free my free resources and, you know, all information to contact me are on there. Mm, perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes for everyone. Thank, um, you. thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Ashley.
Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-Turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.